We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? And a good performance, Nick, from what I saw at uh, against the Utah Jazz, who had a, a near-full-strength lineup. The Nets, obviously, um, don't have that uh, and then some. So uh, a decent way to finish off these scrimmages. Yeah, decent. You know, obviously, they didn't get the win. They lost to the Jazz in their final scrimmage, 112-107. But some positives from that performance. Before we dive into it, though, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netspug.com, and Blue Wire Pods. And this episode is presented by DealDash.com. But, Jack, let's go. Nick, what were those positives that you were alluding to? Obviously, uh, another good game from Jared Allen, Carol Savert, you know, our two best, if not most important players. Um, what were the positives for you that stuck out in this final one as the, you know, the minutes started to ramp up for some of our main guys too? Yeah, I thought it was a really nice game from Karras, especially against a good defensive team, having to go against Royce O'Neal and then Gobert in the paint. You know, Jared Allen had some really nice moments. He just continues to look very comfortable with the ball in his hands. And, you know, Rodion's continuing to give us those sparks and that excitement for what he possibly could be on next year's team. And honestly, you know, Tyler Johnson didn't shoot as well as he did in the previous game, but still gave a nice boost to the squad. And you can see where he could kind of have an impact. 
Yeah, I mean, if, if we're going through Carol Savert, your guy, uh, nearly 31 minutes, led the team um, with the exact same minutes as Jared Allen. 23 points, three rebounds, six assists, had a steal as well. I uh, went 50% from the floor, 11 or 22 shots. He's going to be taking that many shots because he needs to. And if he's that efficient, Nick, uh, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, you can't beat 50% from the field, especially with the amount of attention Karras is getting and kind of being that, you know, main ball handler and offense initiator and kind of taking on that scoring load. I really liked in this game some of the passing. You mentioned the six assists. Some of them were very tough passes because, you know, at different points in the game, Utah did a great job of kind of collapsing on him, and he was able to throw some passes out to the perimeter, hit Jared Allen for those easy dunks down low. But I think Levert's also starting to get a better feel for what it's going to be like to be the the main cog on this team and the guy that's going to get all that attention and where that double team is going to come from, where he needs to make that pass and how he can kind of make his teammates better. And that's something we've kind of looked you know, forward for Levert, you know, for him to take that next step. Yeah, I mean, I saw this take on this, but I know you've brought it up um, uh, before as well. As sort of, and I think uh, our guy Matt Nake has brought it up as well as for Carol Savert being a possible leader in the future of the second unit, sort of just being that guy. And you know, obviously he is that guy, and then some for us uh, currently. But with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, we see how good he is with the ball in his hands. He's not going to get those touches if he is in the starting lineup. But that's something we'll no doubt analyze in the future. But Nick, another double double from Jared Allen, nineteen. Uh, just one more no on Levert. Sorry, Jack. Yeah, I just sure. want to to point out his and you saw a couple of the clips like his mid-range game and in between huh. game has taken a massive jump i know you pointed out some of the footwork and then just some of the confidence and just using the fakes the jab steps whatever it might be and getting to those spots it's just it's like a different addition to his game maybe it's something we saw in the past and kenny wouldn't you know allow him to take it to that next step but vaughn's definitely encouraging it i mean he's he's so quick with these with every single like He's quick because of his herky-jerky and, and length and his nature, but, like, he's quick with his feet. Like, the, yeah. the footwork in that clip that you posted, I was just like, dude, like, there's... I mean, the the best player that we've probably seen, I think a lot of us, you know, we're obviously not a general NBA pod here at the Buzz, but everyone's seen that CJ McCollum um, shot where he was just, like, with the handle, with the, the hezzy, and with the sidestep to three. You know, Karis Avert looked mighty, mighty composed and mighty, mighty good uh, with his footwork there from that mid-range shot, and you know, I think it, it might have been Matt Q again who was sort of saying that, you know, he's not just taking, you know, drives and he's not just taking floaters now. He's sort of becoming not maybe a three, uh, an all-round score like we sort of alluded to with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but, you know, the mid-range is certainly getting better. I mean, the three ball wasn't there tonight, but we know he can hit it, you know, 0 of 3 from there, but despite being 11 or 22 from the field. So the improvements are certainly encouraging. 100%. And I think it having that in-between slash mid-range game or whatever you want to call it has allowed him to kind of find Jared Allen at different points because they're not getting too close. You know what I mean? There's enough separation yeah. where now the defense has to make a decision. And hey, if someone else comes to help, I'm going to hit Tyler Johnson for three or Joe Harris, whoever it might be. So that growth and that adaptation is definitely important, especially because like you mentioned, those opportunities are going to be a lot less next year if he's still in the squad. Definitely. Uh, we were alluding to Jared Allen, Nick, 19 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, two steals, two blocks, nine to 12 from the field. Jared Allen had a, a decent performance by the looks of it. Yeah, another good game for Jared Allen. I, we've kind of mentioned on the last two uh, recaps of the scrimmages, just the confidence and the feel for the game and just feeling more comfortable with the ball, even just in the post. You know, not rushing some of those layups or hook shots in the past where we've seen him almost airball them or throw them hard off the glass. He's kind of developing that touch, and he just feels more in his own. You know what I mean? Like, he understands, like you said, Jack, he's one of the best players in this team now, and he's playing like that. And obviously, they're missing a ton of pieces, but still, it's nice to see Jared Allen take advantage of the opportunity, especially going against Rudy Gobert, one of the best in the league. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I really like seeing those two steals and two blocks. That's for me. I saw a couple of uh, blocking highlights from him. That's Those are the highlights I enjoyed the most uh, from Jared Allen, uh, apart from... No, those are the ones that I do enjoy the most. But we'll get to the rest of the starters, I guess, as well, Nick. Uh, my my boy, Shaggy Tan Joe. Uh, not the best performance from him if we're looking at the box score. Eight points, six rebounds, two assists. One of... Uh, he had three of 11 from the field. Uh, didn't hit a three ball. Uh, was it just rust from Joe, or is there some sort of worry that you have? I think it was mostly rust. I think Joe's still having a nice impact on the offense with the spacing, the off-ball movement. He had a couple nice cuts in this game. You know, it was just actually Joe shot probably more mid-range games in uh, more mid-range shots in this game than he probably did like the last month of the season. Like he had a couple opportunities where he pulled up, maybe not typically used to them as much, ended up kind of hitting back rim or whatever it might be. But I think Joe will be okay long as his shot kind of comes along. Yeah, I mean, two of his shots, two of the 11 shots that he took were from three. It's not normally the case uh, for Joe Harris. And, you know, obviously we know where his his weapons do lie. He is a really good straight line driver as well. You know, I was listening to some other general NBA pods um, to talk, sort of talk about comparing him to Duncan Robinson. And Duncan Robinson is obviously an absolute master from three, as is Joe. But Joe has a, a different level of, of scoring capabilities from two-point range, be it on the drive. And hopefully those mid-range shots drop. Yeah. You know? If he's taken them um, in the scrimmages, I don't really care because these games don't matter. But I want him to be uh, as efficient and as, as purposeful as possible uh, when the real stuff starts to matter in, in, in a matter of days, I guess. But anything else you wanted to touch on, Joe, Nick, before we get to TLC and Chris Chioza? I just think if Joe kind of develops that mid-range shot, it's going to be so much tougher because you're always in a position where you're essentially chasing Joe because he's running off so many screens. And if you're pressing him at the three-point line so much and your recovery is to meet him back at the rim, that elbow jumper is going to be there. And I think it's a shot he can hit. It's just kind of getting more comfortable pulling up, which isn't the same as your catch and shoot or shooting off balance or whatever it might be. So just continuing to work on that part of his game. No, J.J. Redick-esque. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the pull-up shot is the, the hardest shot you can take in the NBA, no matter who you are. And if you have that level of shot creation, uh, you're a damn special player, Nick. But uh, we're, I guess we've got to get to the, to the negatives of this performance, Nick. And, and TLC, uh, he still didn't have the best of games. Three points, two rebounds, three assists. Did have a steal, one of five from the field. And that one uh, shot that he did make was from three. Um, do you see TLC getting minutes uh, when the games start to matter? I mean, it feels like Vaughn's going to play him because at this point I would have probably tried a different starting lineup. I think the three turnovers really stuck out for him. He's just not in rhythm. He's not in sync. His jumper's off. He's like, seems like he's missing short a ton. And like, it's hurting the Nets having him out there because he's not providing enough, you know, impact in the other aspects of his game for him to miss so many threes and be such a net negative offensively. And I think like if he's not going to play well, they have to look at playing somebody else in his position that maybe isn't as undersized at the four, because that's another thing too. Like uh, they, the jazz were playing Bradley at one point. So Vaughn had to make the quick, quick switch and play Lance Thomas at the four early on. So maybe that's yeah. something they look at doing because I just think TLC He's no disrespect to him. He's not that great of a player already. And then asking them to play at a position where he's asked to do a little bit more than he has in the past because there's less stars or less creators in the team. It's just not a, a win-win situation for him. He's just going to really struggle, I think, throughout this unless he's playing in a, a bench role and a smaller role. Yeah, and I think Lance Thomas, you know, we didn't really delve into some of his moments in, in previous games, but he seems to provide just at least a steadying physical force a la Wilson Chandler, Jared Dudley sort of style. Yep. That sometimes you just need that, you know, mature, healthy, 
decent body that just knows to do the right things and you look beyond the box score stats for a guy like him so it's a good point Nick I, I certainly see him making an impact just via his presence probably more uh, than TLC does in, in a lot of ways but we hope that he does get his form back um, that, that we hope he gets the TLC that he does need but have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 options every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use offer code BACKBOARD or DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. That's DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds and prop bets to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and Robert Horry. See what they had to say what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Nick Christioza was filling up the stat line a little bit with those assists and steals. Had two points, three rounds, but did have seven assists, four steals, and a block. Christioza's blocking people. How the hell are you going to block? I, I can't recall the block. It might have been one of those when he kind of like they're going up and he gets it before yeah. it gets above the shoulder type of thing. Yeah. Um, the passing definitely stuck out. There was a couple of beautiful bounce passes to Jared Allen and they were just like, how did he even you know fit that in there? I think the, still the concern though with Chioza is like the lack of offensive scoring. And I think the Nets yeah. are just in a position where they need to get points in that starting lineup and they, they can't afford to have net negative shooting or guys that can't give that extra spacing or life's just going to get that much harder for Jared Allen and Karis LeVert and Joe Harris. They need these guys to hit shots and be a threat out there, or it's just going to be a long eight games. I mean, uh, let's get to Tyler Johnson then as well. I mean, I'll argue against it a little bit, Nick, because I think Karis LeVert wants the ball in his hands a lot, and sometimes you just need a guy as a facilitator. And Tyler Johnson is a guy that looks to be sort of leading the second lineup um, and this backup unit quite well. He's probably been, if not, you know, with Rodion Skouritz and out of the backups, the the best performers that we've seen so far. So I guess we'll get to him. Obviously not as efficient and, and not as lethal as the last game, but still a solid game in only 18 minutes of play. 11 points, had a couple of boards, had a steal. Three of seven from the field, two of three from three-point land. Um, what did you think of TJ's performance? Yeah, another solid performance from him. Like you said, the shooting, obviously, he's not going to shoot that efficiency every game. So this one, he kind of cooled off a little bit. But still, two of three from deep. And he you know, hit his open shots, which is important. I think he just kind of gives a little bit of spark. He keeps the offense moving. He understands the motion needed. And he's a nice complementary piece. And like you mentioned, him and Garrett Temple have been kind of running that second unit and just initiating the offense. And Tyler Johnson's also a guy that's not really scared to take a shot or if he has to create in five seconds and you know hit a pull-up mid-range shot, he's willing to do that. So another positive for him, especially moving forward if he wants to establish a spot in this roster next year. 
Definitely. I know that I'm I'm all in on it already based off two damn scrimmage games. And he had um, one beautiful hustle play this game, Jack, where he someone had uh, got the ball stolen and Tyler Johnson was probably about five feet back. He ended up chasing chasing down whoever on Utah had the ball in the layup. He missed the layup, then the Nets end up getting the rebound and saving two points. It's a small play, but that's the type of effort and hustle the Nets need if they're going to win a game in Orlando. Yeah, I think some of his teammates were sort of alluding to the fact of his defense, and I'm just like, really? But then you sort of just look at, you know, the the Nets overall aren't the the best individual, you know, but as a collective, when you get that effort from from the guys on your roster, that's what makes us the eighth best defensive team, uh, at least via defensive rate. Probably not going to be that anymore <laughs> with this current roster, but with Tyler Johnson doing things like that, who knows what can happen, Nick? But uh, you alluded to a little bit to Garrett Temple. Anything stand out other than the normal to him before we get to some of the other guys? No, just pretty much simple Temple game, and I think that's fine. Like, that's what you kind of expect from him, and we have an expectation, and Temple's been able to hit that and be that stabilizing force coming into the game. I mean, uh, I mean, we'll get to Rodion's courts now then, Nick. And are we trading everyone now? We've got our backup center. Rodion's courts is that guy. Three or four from three, five and nine from the field, 13 points, six rebounds. Had a couple of assists as well, two of them. Had a still had two blocks. He's blocking as much as Jared Allen. We've got our center, Nick. It's done. It's over. <laughs> Center's I, solidified. He's really developing nicely defensively, getting a better feel for the rotations and understanding verticality and how he can get up and get those blocks. And offensively, you know, three-point shot is looking great again. And even on the misses, he had a couple nice takes of the rim where he just kind of botched the layup or he just probably was a little bit too quick, if that makes sense, getting to the rim. So Rodion's another positive and kind of adding to what he possibly could be on next year's team. And I love like some of the defensive versatility he's showcasing. Obviously not super consistent yet on that side of the floor, but being able to switch onto multiple guys and provide solid defense with that length and quickness he has. Look, I'm not going to call him the next Draymond Green that can shoot better, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I'm going to just put it out there and tell you, nah, he's, he's, he's obviously got a one place to go, but... This, this opportunity for him, if we had have had DeAndre Jordan happy and healthy and, and good to go, obviously that would be a much better situation for everyone involved. But these opportunities for, for the younger guys, like Rodion Squirts especially, he's relishing it and he's really growing. You know, obviously those inconsistencies that we've alluded to, you know, you've worked those kinks out with experience and time on the court. And, you know, I think that he's going to be a valuable piece. And obviously we'll chat a little bit about Dante Hall and Jamal Crawford a little bit later. But, you know, I want to continue seeing Rodion Squirts getting minutes the four and five. You know, his versatility is not just going to be great for, for the Nets in Orlando, but maybe the team going forward and also for his individual career. If he can add yeah. that to his skill set and be this guy that can, you know, guards threes, fours, and fives, boy, oh boy, he's going to be a valuable player going forward. Especially for playoff basketball, just having a guy that can yeah. score so much. Find and- out. Rodion, exactly. And Rodion's is kind of playing like we expected him to play going to the season. Like there was expectations for him to make a jump from what we saw from the 1920 season. I mean, from the 1819 season to the 1920 season. And obviously with the court case, the rotation, the confidence, there was all types of issues. But he's playing at that level now. And now you even feel a little bit more confident about like the long term production of his career and taking those strides. And kind of similar to Jared Allen, it feels like Rodion's understands that he's one of the better players in the team and it's given him more confidence do you i know um you, you alluded to to the rotations and coach kenny with that earlier in the season do you put anything down to it to Jacques vaughn instilling some sort of confidence and giving him a bit of free reign giving him the the tools to succeed is there anything to that 
Yeah, I think some of it's a situation. It's a lot easier to give him minutes when he's one of the best guys out on the team or has, you know, some of the most talent or honestly just a guy who's over six yeah. foot seven. You know what I mean? Because yeah, they don't yeah. really have a ton of options. I think maybe things weren't great between uh, Kenny and Rodion's. That's a possibility. There was also a note on the scrimmage between the Nets and Spurs where Grady mentioned Jacques Vaughn saying he didn't feel super confident with Rodion's in his, uh, the Nets uh, playbook. And he had him go up to the front of like a film session and, you know, draw out two plays. And Rodion's was able to do that. And it gave Vaughn more confidence. So maybe one of the issues in the past was Rodion's not having a great understanding of what the Nets expected from him from a play perspective or even just the game plan or schematics. And I think you alluded to and we've alluded to Jacques Vaughn with his communication. Yep. There's a, a big example of that. And, you know, you can't necessarily expect the people to place to what they what what you want them to do without telling them what you want them to do and, and it seems to me that Jacques Vaughn is being a bit more explicit with that and as a teacher it's uh, music to my ears I love that explicit teaching Nick all about it all about it but uh, we'll get to to the deep in the rotation um, and what stuck out to you from Justin Anderson Lance Thomas and Jadon Musa and uh, Jeremiah I'll... Martin sorry yeah, Musa and Martin really didn't get to play until the end, but uh, Justin Anderson had some good minutes, you know, showcased that swarming defense. There was a play on George Nang where he just yep. got all over him and forced the steal. And that's what I think kind of makes Justin Anderson a little intriguing is because of that physicality. He's just like a brick wall and also another guy who's very switchy that can defend multiple positions. And he's like developing this really long three three point shot. Like he's not <laughs> shooting it's not like he's shooting regular threes. He's shooting like five feet back, and it feels like he's having more success doing that than shooting his normal threes. So Anderson, another guy that can provide you some of those hustle plays. So not a bad performance for him. You know, nothing like crazy where I'm like, oh, this guy needs to get 20-plus minutes next game, but kind of hitting those expectations. And similar for Lance Thomas, you know, what you mentioned it earlier, being that veteran, having that basketball IQ, also having that size, I think that helps on the boards getting to the free throw line a little bit, and then also just making the hustle plays as well. There was another instance where he chased down like a loose ball, ended up saving it, got it to Karras, and kicked off a fast break. So Thomas is the type of guy that I could see getting minutes, especially in the seeding games, if the Nets are kind of a little shaky in terms of the rotation or the play of the young guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, and to, just to add on with Justin Anderson, if you had have given me a million dollars to and said that Justin Anderson is going to shoot two more threes in a game than Joe Harris, then um, I would have said that you're kidding yourself. But he shot two or four, and Joe Harris didn't hit one of them. So he's clearly learning something, and maybe Joe Harris can take some things from the playbook from his uh, former college alumni. But Nick, uh, we ch we chatted about this in our DMs uh, a little bit before uh, before the pod and, and in the previous days. Uh, we saw no Jamal Crawford and no Dante Hall. Uh, obviously. Obviously, um, Jacques Vaughn is being conservative, and the reasoning behind that is because he just wants guys to be fresh and healthy, and he sees that that conservative nature could pay dividends down the line in the eight seeding games. Do you agree with the strategy? What are you thinking um, Jacques Vaughn's doing uh, with these guys? Should we have seen them? What are your thoughts overall? Yeah, I think I trust Vaughn here. Obviously, you know, playing it safe. These guys haven't played basketball in so long. They haven't necessarily been training with the team in Brooklyn. So it's like, all right, let Crawford get up to up up to his basketball level get that conditioning right and I think I even saw something about Hall not even possibly playing for the first couple games in terms of the seeding games because he's still not ready to get on the court I don't know if that was conditioning or maybe understanding what the Nets wanted to do but I think it'll be more likely we see Crawford first 
Yeah, um, I mean, we, we saw what he was, we, we chatted about on the last pod, what he's been doing uh, in practices. He's certainly been uh, been cooking there against uh, Rodion Skouritz, who to me, again, next Raymond Green, uh, you call it here first. And next, Andre, better than Andre Kirilenko. We know that. That's that's happening for sure. But Nick, I wanted to bring to you a, a couple of final topics before we do end this one. And now that we've seen these scrimmages, People are putting out what their depth chart should be and, and what the, the eventual rotation is. And uh, this is via at Brooklyn Nets 85. And this is, uh, he says, Karras slash Chioza, Johnson slash Crawford, Harris slash Temple, uh, Rody slash Anderson, Allen slash Hall. That's the depth. That's the eight-man depth chart that he sees. Do you see any maybe moments for Lance Thomas to, to uh, like we sort of alluded to there, or do you think that that's our eight best players, or do you think you know there's do you think Kuritz, uh deserves to maybe play at the five, or or what are your thoughts on the eventual sort of depth chart slash rotation uh, heading into the seeding games in the coming days? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see TLC getting taken out of that starting lineup and playing mm-hmm. Rodion's. We kind of mentioned on the last show, maybe staggering him with uh, so he can still play some four and then have him at that backup center role or even possibly starting Lance Thomas or something like that or having Lance Thomas be your backup five. Uh, I'm not really sure how much we can expect from Hall at this point since he hasn't really played. And I'm not sure about the whole Chioza thing. Like, it feels like he's probably going to start. I wouldn't be opposed to him not starting him, having him lead that second unit. It's also going to kind of matter, too. Like, how does Jamal Crawford play? Like, what type of role do they have him in? Is he creating a lot for others, too, or is it just mostly scoring for himself? So I think the only thing that we can say for a fact is that, you know, Karis, Joe Harris, and Allen are going to be in the starting lineup. After that, it's just so much of a toss-up, and I wouldn't be surprised if Vaughn plays 11 or 12 guys, especially early in the seeding game, since he's so concerned with health and making sure these guys don't get hurt. Yeah, we did see those minutes ramped up a little bit for for the big guys because they've got to get the conditioning in their legs a little bit. You know, Joe Harris, uh, Karis Avert, uh, Jared Allen all playing near 30 minutes, if not 30 minutes plus. So you can expect that to sort of be a key thing that we'll probably be keeping an eye out as the sitting games uh, do rapidly approach. So, yeah, the rotation is obviously going to be something that we'll be fascinated by in terms of, you know, does Rody Rody obviously deserves to start, but is his value more as a five right now, especially with Dante Hall being injured? Where does Lance Thomas fit and all that? You know, Justin Anderson, these are the sort of prototypical bigs that can probably play rotation minutes at the four or five. So it's going to be an interesting one for... For Jacques Moore, he's going to be having to do a fair bit of coaching that he probably didn't necessarily expect that he would be doing. So the rotation is one that we'll certainly be keeping an eye on. I personally, Nick, um, I know that you didn't ask for my opinion, but I'm going to give it because I've got a podcast. I love to hear hand. it. <laughs> <laughs> I personally would keep Chioza as a starter because I I just think that the, in terms of what we've seen in the past from the second unit, if you look like Spencer Dimity, Carol Silvert, whenever those guys have sort of been a, a quote-unquote six-man, it's because... They are the scorer guys. They are the facilitators. They're the leaders of that second unit. And to me, that's Temple slash Johnson this time around. Whereas Chioza is sort of like playing facil- old school facilitator Spencer Dimity role. And Carol Severt is playing just like, you know, the, the superstar sort of role that we need him to be. So, I mean, I don't hate it either way. I think that, you know, some experimentation, some tinkering may be needed because Chioza, he can't score. Like, he's he's not a great scorer, but his passing uh, provides such value in that respect as well. So, uh, when it comes to maybe the playoffs, we might see uh, even more adjustments. So, I think that these seeding games, uh, obviously, the Nets need to win to, to stay in there and um, to make sure that they solidify a seventh or eighth spot um, so they don't have to come up against the, the Wizards in a playing game. But I don't mind for now Chioza starting. Uh, alongside Carousel because 
Karras is scoring so damn well and so awesomely so far that he doesn't necessarily need another scorer next to him, despite the fact that I think Tyler Johnson uh, is a much more capable offensive player and Jamal Crawford for that matter too, um, even though we yeah. haven't seen him. We know he is. Yeah, and I think if you started Rodion's, it would make you probably feel a little bit more comfortable about playing Chioza. You know what yep. I mean? Because now you have a little bit more length that can help recover defensively and also gives you another three-point shooter on the floor. And now things are running a lot more smoothly, I think, for the team. And I, we saw a little bit. I want to say the Nets threw out a lineup today that had, you know, uh, maybe it was Temple, Tyler Johnson, Karis LeVert, Rodions, and Jared Allen. You know, maybe swap Joe Harris and uh, Temple there. And now you're running out Johnson, Karis, Harris, Allen, and Rodions. And all of a sudden, that, that actually looks like an NBA lineup you'd see during the regular season where all of a sudden like they can play some competitive basketball. I think really just the biggest issue for the Nets in these games and the seeding games and the playoffs is just like the bench minutes and just when Karras isn't on the floor, like how are they going to get consistent offense or even when he's on the floor, can they give him proper spacing or proper help so he doesn't have to carry a full load and hit, you know, ridiculous shots. Yeah, what I'm expecting, Nick, is probably what we saw from, you know, Joel Embiid and the Sixers in that series against the Toronto Raptors, what it was like. He played 45 minutes, and the three minutes that he wasn't out there, the team was like minus 12. Yep. I think that, I think we might see that going forward for the, for the Nets. But, you know, he's been great, Karras, and he can only do so much. He's just one man. And hopefully, you know, Jacques Vaughn can figure some figure some things out coaching-wise, and, and the, the the guys in the rotation can certainly step up. But, uh, Nick, we I'd be remiss if I didn't get to a couple more things. One of them is a trade, but... You know, I'll get to that trade first. So I want to end with Kyrie Irving's uh, his uh, his donation to, to the WNBA uh, at the end. But uh, our guy Billy Reinhardt had a bit of a we hear that Thaddeus Young may be on the trade market, former Brooklyn Net, now Chicago Bull, and there was a trade proposal that I kind of liked from uh, from our guy uh, Billy Reinhardt, and he brought up and it, this one is a quite a consummate value for the Nets. So the Nets receive. Uh, and again, this is a long one, so keep up with me. I'll, I'll try not to speak too fast with my uh, Australian accent. Thaddeus <laughs> Young, Bradley Beal, and Chris Dunn. That's what the Nets receive. The Wizards receive Zach Levine, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, Chandler Hutchison, a 2021 second via the Bulls, uh, the Nets 2021st via Philly, uh, a lottery-protected 2022 first-round pick uh, via the Nets. The Bulls get Ish Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, Carol Savert, Janan Musa, a 2022nd uh, via Denver via the Nets, and a 2021nd via the Nets via Toronto. Uh, there's a lot there, Nick, um, but what do you think upon hearing that uh, initial sort of reactions? Yeah, I mean, I think this the Nets kind of going all in. They're like, hey, this is the championship team we're going to create. We get, obviously, Bradley Beal, that other, you know, that third star, and now all of a sudden you have your big trio. But then you add a great complementary piece in Thad Young who gives you that versatile big that can play the four, that can play the five, gives you some rebounding, some switchability. And then Chris Dunn, a guy I know that you like a lot at that guard Love position. Love Nick. Love him. Especially, I think, you add those two defensive-minded complementary oh. pieces in Thad Young and Chris Dunn to a core of KD, Kyrie, and Bradley Beal. That feels really good, and that feels like a championship-level team because you're not necessarily losing a ton. Obviously, you'd still want to probably add a couple more pieces to the roster, but I think the Nets, you know, would be that'd be a championship level team. But you'd have to feel, you know, if you're Sean Marks, if you feel really confident, because this is probably the only move you're really going to be able to make because you're cleaning up essentially all your assets where you'll have first round picks down the line, but nothing too crazy. So you better feel like, hey, this is the deal. We make this deal. We're winning a chip. 
I mean, I'm I'm a massive fan of this uh, for for many ways. Obviously, you get the the, the superstar in Bradley Beal, you get an all defensive caliber player in Chris Dunn, you get Thaddeus Young who can play alongside Kevin Durant and just provide so much switchability and be a a four and or a five. I'm all in on this, Nick, uh, and I'm sure that we'll probably have more trade proposals to break down. And I think that there is benefit for all the other teams involved too. It's uh, it's certainly a deep one, and Billy's been doing his homework. But uh, a guy we I'd haven't love this about. if I was the Bulls. I mean, I'm getting Spencer and Karras, and I'm getting yeah. the second round picks. I mean, yeah. I I couldn't complain, and I'm I'm really only giving up Zach Levine in the second rounder, like Chandler Hutchinson. You know, he's not necessarily expected to be this crazy guy. Chris Dunn's going to be a restricted free agent where there's already talk about them not possibly retaining him. So I'd feel pretty good about the Bulls. Wizards, I could see being pretty happy about it, depending on how they view Zach Levine. And they uh, and that obviously that lottery protected uh, first rounder as well. So there's there's picks involved. There's there's plenty to it. But um, a guy we need to finish with, Nick, we like to finish on on the most important news uh, pertaining to the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving is giving one point five million dollars to supplement the income of WNBA players who are missing their season. Um, obviously, they aren't being uh, compensated uh, via the league. The initiative will cover players whether they're sitting because of coronavirus concerns or social justice reasons. Now. Celtics fans, you got anything to say about this one? Thank you, Kyrie. Just thank you for being that dude. He backs up his words with actions. And if you can say anything bad about this, then look yourself in the mirror because you're a goddamn idiot. Yeah, and our guy Cam actually is going to uh, release a great piece for OTG. And he mentions that the median income for WNBA players is only 55K. So that's not not a lot of money. So obviously this 1.5 mil from Kyrie is going to have a big impact. And obviously you kind of expect other players to possibly step up too. So like you said, Jack, you know, your actions speak louder than words and Kyrie is doing a lot. It's not just this. It's been all the things over coronavirus, all the social justice stuff that he's done. He's continuing to do right. And the things that actually matter. Yeah. Is he perfect? And he says all the right things in the press conference or locker room. Yeah, maybe not. But for things that actually matter and have a real impact on people's lives, Kyrie has done a great job over the last couple of months. And it feels like probably a lot of his career just doesn't get noticed as much because everyone's always talking about the things that don't really matter. Here, here, Nick. Here, here with that. And I will uh, end with uh, this as well. He's following on the the legacy of Kobe Bryant in terms of yeah. prioritizing women's basketball in the WNBA. And they're, they're doing awesome things there. I need to cop one of those orange hoodies. Those are absolute flames. Yeah. They look absolutely awesome. So, Kyrie Irving, um, I know Kobe Bryant would be proud. We're proud of you as Brooklyn Nets fans. Uh, absolutely awesome thing. And um, it shouldn't be just up to, you know, the millionaires to step up. I want to hear from some of these billionaires. You know, I know Joe Sy's doing little bits and pieces here and there. And uh, I hear of this uh, possible $300 million being uh, donated to uh, via the league and, and, and the owners and governors or whatever you want to call it. Hopefully that comes to fruition because um, we we are going to continue to highlight uh, Black Lives Matter and, and all of these important issues, despite the fact that we are a basketball podcast. Uh, we care about the bigger things even more than basketball. So shout out to Kyrie, shout out to Chris Paul, shout out to everyone doing awesome work for uh, social justice issues and anything that really does matter because uh, we love talking about Rodian Scrooge playing the five and turning into Draymond Green, but we like talking more about <laughs> Kyrie Irving doing some things that uh, make a matter to people's individual lives uh, and their well-being. Yeah, and I mean, let's be honest, like $1.5 million is not chump change. Like, that's a lot of money, even to a millionaire, you know, to somebody who's made the money that Kyrie has. 
that's a really that's a really generous you know um, a gift to those WNBA players. So I think yeah. it'll be very appreciated. And like you said, Jack, helping to kind of push the WNBA too to take that next step forward. And we saw a lot of support from NBA guys. But uh, that wraps it up for the buzz. As always, Jack, a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody for listening. Like I mentioned before, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsplug.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.